Welcome to your weekly Social Jack Influence Factory. Introducing your coaches, Dean Delisle, Kate Hassett, and Jackson Delisle. Hey. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. How's everybody doing? Good. How are you? Oh, good as always. Best day of the you week, did. Influence Factory Day. That's right. That's right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Influence Factory. And um, Kate, if people want to join us on social, what do they do? Well, of course, we'll be live tweeting uh, this whole um, program. Shout out to Jen, one of our writers. She's on Twitter right now. You can follow us at Get Social Jack as well as hashtag Influence Factory. And then we're on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn at Get Social Jack or at Social Jack and also on Twitter at Get Social Jack and oh Snapchat as well. So lots of storytelling, lots of ways to follow us wherever you prefer. We're there. Woo! That was a lot. Yeah, I thought thought what I say is a lot. (laughs) All right. We want to welcome everybody. And then uh, speaking of welcoming everybody, Jackson, if people do want to grab us after the program, where the heck do they go? Uh, Well, they can go to YouTube to watch the recording after the fact. And then also they can listen to it. On iTunes, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, Spreaker, and SoundCloud. So make sure uh, to check cool. that out. And then if you subscribe on any of those channels, you'll get automatically notified when we upload a recording. So that's perfect. Right. That's what we love. That's what we love. Um, all right, all right, all right. So uh, don't forget to turn off those distractions and tune in. So now. Uh, This is the part about engagement. We always want you to engage because that's the secret to building your influence and the secret to social media success is to really engage. And so we let you practice in this sandbox with us on engagement. So if you're on with us on the platform, there is a go to webinar taskbar, uh, just like what's on the picture uh, on the screen. And uh, if you have uh, audio problems, which, you know, the Internet's, you know, has faults and we're going to have audio problems. Um, So all you can do is uh, switch between phone call and computer audio. um, And then you're going to get a pop up or you're going to go from computer audio to phone call and you're going to get a pop up with a number and an access code like on the screen. And a lot of you listen to us and route to appointments. And there's also a mobile app so you can put us on your iPad or your phone, but don't drive and watch. Um, And then also uh, we want you to engage with questions because we have a very important guest today and we have a lot of things we're going to learn like we do every week. Uh, Jackson, did you get that sponsorship from Red Bull? I just saw Red Bull. No, but I'm still working on it. So, (laughs) You go, you little influencer. Okay, so now with that being said, um, we'd like you to to put, you know, we always like you to respond to a social question. So I know we have some people overseas that are listening in and people all over the world. um, But here in the U.S., we celebrate Thanksgiving next week, and we're going to skip next week's show. But we're not going to skip next week's meal. So what is your favorite Thanksgiving comfort food? Type that in right now. Your favorite Thanksgiving comfort food. It could be appetizer, main course, or dessert. 
Jen's already over this. So, Kate, what's your favorite (laughs) thing? My favorite thing is actually the leftover sandwich you make the next day with the turkey and the gravy. And I put mashed potatoes on mine. And when everything kind of sits and (coughs) this is a gross word, but congeals overnight, I like the leftover sandwich. (laughs) Uh, There you go. Uh, Jackson, what about you? I look forward to. Uh, after the use of that word, I might not, <laughs> I can't even think about food. Uh, <laughs> uh, stuffing is good. I just saw Jen come in there with the stuffing, but no, uh, probably, uh, when you do the turkey with the, with the cranberry, you know, just, I don't know. It, it all has to be together in order for me to eat it anyway. Cause like, I would never just choose to eat that on a regular basis. So. But yeah, yeah, it's yeah, probably the turkey and cranberry sauce. All right, Steve and Allison, we got more people logging in. So Jim's just logging in now. So we're asking about what your favorite sort of comfort food is around Thanksgiving. And Sherry said dessert, all desserts. All of it. I, I have to say I love every like Pinterest-related home-cooked appetizer that people bring. So they'll bring these – like, if you ever had, like, the warm crab dip and those things, you know, I'm yeah. just like, oh, my gosh. And then, you know, I'm not a big fan of turkey. So, usually on Thanksgiving, I don't even have a piece of turkey. But I'm like you, that the day after, yeah, I like the turkey sandwiches or turkey, whatever you make out of it. So, I like turkey pot pie, too. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I do like the appetizers, though. You're right. That's the best part about hosting Thanksgiving at your house. It's telling everybody to bring appetizers, and then they bring some Pinterest stuff, and that's the best. Yeah, and I think the Bears are playing on Thanksgiving. So then yeah. you got football, and uh, I know we figured out everybody's uh, favorite teams last week and all that good stuff. So if you're just joining us a few minutes late, we're putting in the comfort food for Thanksgiving that's your favorite. Uh, and even if you're overseas and you don't celebrate Thanksgiving, uh, what the heck? Uh, what's your favorite comfort food? Yeah. <laughs> right on. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for partying with us and joining in here, um, especially on the food lunch hour uh, conversation. Uh, <laughs> Social Jack members, don't forget you can log in, and we still, till the end of the month, have it where you can click on member, you know, sign in, even if you're not a member yet. And you can take a tour of all the previous episodes and then some other classes that we have, like how to rock your personal brand. There's worksheets that you can download uh, to get sort of your house in order for the new year. So please make sure you take advantage of that. Socialjack.com. So there's all kinds of cool uploads up there. And then also special discounts. So you'll get messaged on special discounts. Uh, for upcoming programs. So we have our social selling class that's coming up. It's all virtual. You can take it from anywhere in the world and you guys will get half off just by logging into LinkedIn, half off the early bird, right, Kate? It's not just half off the class. It's half off the early bird. So yeah, absolutely. That's an even bigger discount and early bird ends this Friday. So yes. And and remember, we will automatically log you into tomorrow's class. So you're all going to get a message on how to convert LinkedIn connections to appointments. And this is cool because this is a section of our class where we tell you what to say. So have you ever connected to somebody on LinkedIn and and you had to make that first move or next move and you didn't know exactly what to say? Well, we're going to give you the five easy messages that we teach in our class. And then we're going to give you a messages tip sheet. 
So who wants that? Isn't that cool? And that'll be in Social Jack as well. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kate, when you first started with us, you were like, I don't even know how to talk to people. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. And I don't even <laughs> Facebook. And I don't know how to talk to people on LinkedIn. Now you're it's like it's second true. nature. You help our clients talk to people. Yeah. Found you on LinkedIn. Look at me now. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, all right. So now, uh, and then our LinkedIn social selling fast track class, Jackson, I don't see the promo code up there. So if you could just, I think it's SJ550. Um, yes. Yeah, that one's at salesjack.net. And Jackson will post that into the chat there for you. And then if you put in SJ5050, um, you'll get half off of the early bird, which I think now uh, comes out with 90 days of coaching. Uh, you get access to all the classes um, and then the live instructor led and the recorded classes. And you uh, literally, um, I think it comes out to $97. So, and all the coaching that you want. So how about that for your personal brand? All right. Influence factory. We have some news going on here. So the big news, which I can't wait to see if they do, I don't know what you think about this, Kate, but Jackson, tell us a little bit about what Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter came out with this week. Yeah, this is super cool. So what I always hear when uh, I talk to people about Twitter is that it does not have an edit function and all other platforms do. You can edit on Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, all of them except for Twitter. But, and, and for the longest time, I couldn't figure out why they were taking so long to do this. <clears throat> In this article, Jack Dorsey goes through and discusses his concerns with uh, with doing that, with giving them the option to edit. He, he fears that there is, you know, giving people the option to edit a tweet will give them the option to edit any tweet they've ever right. tweeted. And if they do that, let's say that uh, I were to tweet something, this, was, this is a direct quote from him. So, he, he said, you know, what if I were to tweet something and then you go and retweet it and then I go and edit the tweet to something you don't agree with. Now you've retweeted something that you don't agree with. And that's what he's trying to prevent, which uh -huh. I can I can completely understand. And, it you know, and it took me so long going, why are not uh, why aren't they doing this like they everyone else can do it. It can't be that hard, you know. Well, and I, and I love the power of authenticity, as you know, it's one of my classes. So uh, the idea is, you know what, everybody in the world, especially Kate and the content team, know that I have an issue with typos and, but I'm, I'm open about it. I'm like, you know what, I apologize. I did proof it. I had somebody proof it, but in this world, there's going to be typos because I want to get my content into the hands of users as fast as possible. And I will work, you know, extra hard to make sure we prove things but if i'm tweeting or i'm at an event i'm putting things out there i almost like uh you know and there are things and and sometimes i'll just take it down and put it back up and i like because twitter's in the moment and it's more instantaneous but i'd like to hear from our attendees today that are actually live with us so uh are you on twitter and you are you in favor of the edit button on twitter you know so if they give you the ability to edit kate what do you think 
Um, when it first dropped, I was like, yes, absolutely. Why is there not an edit button? And then when I started to really think about it, I kind of think that if there is an edit button, it Twitter will lose some of its authenticity. Um, Twitter is one of those platforms that you love or you hate. And I think the people that love it, love it because it's those spur of the moment thoughts. It's whatever you think at the moment. You can put something up very quickly with limited characters. It's right to the point. It's blunt. It's your news. It's the most compact timeline of any social media. And I think if we can edit it, it's going to lose its authenticity just a little bit. Yeah, right. And well, I do want to remind our I do want to remind our attendees too to please chime in. So far, Jen Gale and Sherry are in the lead for engagement prizes today. The rest of you just type in and make sure you're engaging with us so we can pick you as a winner. Um, who doesn't want uh, gift cards, right? Uh, so make sure, and this is the key to your influence and, and really being with us, and then also making sure that you know how to ask questions to our amazing, fabulous guests today. Yeah, so, so uh, basically, uh, you know, the the point of this article is saying that they are still exploring options, but they're leaning more towards not, uh, not doing uh, an edit button, but if they were to do an edit button, they're thinking more of like a five minute edit window. So yeah, after you cool. after you've tweeted, if you maybe share the wrong URL and you go, oh wait, I gotta change that. So you have like five minutes after you tweet. The the point of all this is proof your tweets. <laughs> proof and then tweet. How about that? Now don't don't do it the other way around. So there you go. And that is uh the social jack news. And when in doubt, yeah, when in doubt, delete your tweet. And put it back out there the right way. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you can actually don't copy. Tweet angry. You, don't tweet angry because that's when you're. No angry tweets. If you're phone if you, and you're making the typos. And I actually have a flask that was a giveaway that says don't drink and tweet too. So that's another part. But if you, uh, if you actually, the little drop down arrow to delete the tweet, you can actually copy the tweet. Yep. So it will copy everything. And then you can delete the tweet and copy that into your new tweet and then edit whatever you needed to. So that's uh that's also a easy um, yeah drop right. the mic yeah, I'm Gail done. Says sorry not on Twitter yes I am impulsive so it's scary to me I love that Gail way <laughs> to be authentic I, I say name your fear that's how we can help you uh, Sherry I'm no longer active but when I was I really wanted to edit so just so you all know Twitter is again on the rise so I would encourage you to at least check it out a little bit and uh, we have a ton of classes in Social Jack on Twitter so can't do enough of that so real quick uh, I just want I see a lot of new people so I want to welcome new people and welcome the old people back with us so um, I just want to put up real quick um, we have a lot of classes coming up in 2019 we have waiting lists and a couple classes are already pre-filled so I'm gonna put up a waiting list on here and then Jackson will see you on the other side and then please answer the poll. You just have to go to the screen and click on there, and you're automatically added. No money, no nothing. We just know to contact you first uh, to get into these classes. So do you like influencer development, social streaming, uh, personal branding, or LinkedIn social selling? Just claim the ones that you want to be on the waiting list for. I think it's let you select multiples. We'll leave it up there for 10 seconds. So real quick. Um, Kate, this is the time of year when everybody needs to think about their goals. And Casey's going to come up and, and really talk about goals. But what's interesting is we give people the simple short-term goal that when they log into social media, 
have an intention. Just like when we were at the networking event last night, I wanted to meet three more new people to be part of my team or my network. And I met like six or seven, thanks to you. So the idea is I want to make sure that each and every one of you that can hear my voice, when you log in, what do you want to get out of that? Do you want more referrals, more appointments? Do you want new relationships and partnerships? And so make sure you have the intention of what you want to get out of the networking event that you're logging into. If it's in, you know, it's Instagram, it's LinkedIn, make sure you have that intention. So that's the big message today. And then we're going to hear about other cool goals from our big guest today, uh, Casey Mills. So uh, Kate, I'm excited about this. Uh, he grew up in Wyoming. Have you ever been to Wyoming? I have not. I know. I now <laughs> I want to go because I was like, I always have to look at places. I love to look at maps where people live. I was in Nebraska, but um, I didn't know it was the least populated state in the U.S. So. Did not but if you look at the beautiful country, it's like cool. Um, he stood on top of the reaction chamber uh, of an operating nuclear plant. So he is a superhero. He has superpowers. Um, and then uh, before he was a social media pro, he was a crime investigative news reporter. Not surprised. Um, never invite him to a luncheon. So Casey, come on down. Good to have you on with us today. So uh, never say luncheon. So, um, <laughs> so I will always uh, say you want to go break bread. You want to have a cocktail. Uh, where, did, where did that resistance to luncheon come? There has to be like a story to that, right? Um, yeah, so when I was in college, I was on this um, student PR committee that did college tours for like prospective students, and mm -hmm. they always called their meeting, their annual monthly meeting, a luncheon, and I just don't know what it is about it, whether I didn't like those meetings or whether I didn't like the word luncheon, but it, it just like, it's just one of those words that just kind of grinds my gears and like the premise of a luncheon, like, let's just, let's just have a sandwich and talk about stuff. It doesn't have to be fancy. <laughs> what about lunch and learn? Do you hate that? Cause that's what we call this. So yeah, no, I'm fine with lunch okay. and learn. Okay, okay. Like that, that's great. There, there's like less pretension to that. Okay. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. I like that. I, you know, I think I, I like that too. So somebody goes, you know, do you want to go to a lunch and just say, well, my buddy Casey doesn't attend those and neither do I. Can we just break some <laughs> yeah. our relationship together? We just drop the Eon at the end and just call it what it is. I mean, <laughs> let's yeah. grab a right? So, uh, so you're on top of this nuclear reactor. Was it buzzing? I mean, come on, there had to be a, was there like no fear? Was there any type of fear? Of, uh, this was while you were in college, right? Yeah, well, there's, um, it was when I was working at Oregon State University as a marketing person for their nuclear engineering department, and we had a research reactor on campus. Um, and the, I think the challenge about nuclear education in the U.S. is nobody really knows a lot about it. Like, you go to high school science class, and they're like, you know, the whole bottom of the periodic table, that stuff is made in a nuclear reactor. You don't really need to worry about that. And then in history, you learn that the first thing that we did with the technology was make a giant bomb. And right. so people are really afraid of it, right? right? But once you start to learn about it um, and you learn that literally everything on the planet is radioactive at some level and um, you start to understand the technology, it becomes less scary and more interesting. Um, so it was really interesting to be part of that and talk to engineers who deal with this stuff every day and have access to things that um, normal people don't have access to. Um, from a nuclear science standpoint, but I got to stand on top of the reactor. I think the the most frightening part of it is it's a giant concrete tube filled with water that's about 10 feet tall 
and all the nuclear fuel is down at the bottom. So if you're afraid of heights, it's a little it's a little jarring to just look down into this hole full of water that has nuclear material at the bottom. But um, you know, no no other fear than that. Yeah, I don't think I... just like if you're afraid of heights. I think just in general, that's actually scary. <laughs> so I'm not afraid of heights, but I'm still terrified of this scenario. When, when I was young, it used to be a thing to climb climb up the town's water tower, which, you know, that's oh, those yeah. thin stairs that you climb up. And then, but that was a part where I had a lot less fear. So now that I have mortgages and kids, I think it's like, you know, well, I'm going to be a little more responsible and not do those things. So. Thank goodness. <laughs> but Kate, didn't you jump out of an airplane? Yeah, I've jumped out of an airplane twice. I'm not scared of heights, but I'm not going to touch a reaction chamber of any nuclear reactor ever. How about climb a water tower? Yeah, probably not that either. <laughs> I don't have a mortgage or kids, but I, I like my life. All right. So I, you know, I have to ask this. So just being a, being a reporter. So uh, what was the craziest story without disclosing any names? There had to be like some crazy story. Oh, and there is a crazy story. Um, I worked in a small town in Colorado, and I happened to catch by accident um, the first uh, murder story that had happened there in about 30 years. And it was a really wild story. It was made into an episode of Deadly Sins on Investigation Discovery. Um, so it was it was a really wild case that involved a kid who thought he was a hitman but was really just the manager of a Burger King, and um, he he ended up going to jail for life plus thirty four in the case. So wow, you got NCIS or something, right, or something like that. Yeah, I mean it really makes good TV. It's a ridiculous story. Um, I can I can email you guys the the IMDB episode link if any of you are interested. Yeah, I mean now that we know the the reporter involved, come on. We're we're yeah. one degree we're not one degree from the story anymore. We are at the story, the source. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so all right, so you're in this amazing PR place in uh, you're physically in Nebraska now, right? So, yep, so we're in Lincoln, Nebraska. This, yeah, so now you're in this amazing PR company. How did you how did you get here like where you're at today? Um, it was a really meandering journey, um, and I think that uh, when I talk about what I do and how I got here, I think that's my greatest asset is that I didn't go to college intending to be an advertising person or a social media person. Um, I just kind of ended up here by way of things that I was interested in. So I originally wanted to be a fighter pilot, but I didn't have the math or science grades to get into the Air Force Academy. So I went to college and thought I was maybe going to get into advertising, and I took a long detour down an interest in journalism and photojournalism and spent a lot of years doing that, believing that PR and marketing was the dark side and I would never go there. Um, and, and then after, after seeing what's kind of happened in the journalism industry and what a tough business that is, I right. thought, well, you know, maybe PR is not so bad. And so I got into the PR and marketing side and just kind of found that I really had an interest and affinity for social media and started to pursue that interest. And that led me to where I am today. Yeah, that's that's huge. Um, so, uh, you know, as you as you think about it, you know, we always um, we always coach our students. Uh, we're all about what we call social teaming. You know, if you Google it out there, it's pretty much all of our content. And I've taught college courses about this, about going from, you know, college to your career and furthering your career. 
So there had to have been people that were part of that journey that got you to this moment, right? That Can you tell us a little bit about your network or the people that you developed in your network that got you to here? Yeah, I mean, uh, so I, um, I feel like I'm an anomaly in this industry because the secret about me is that I'm really an introvert that is very good at pretending to be something else. And so... Um, I can I can do the 12 hour trade shows. I can talk to a bunch of people, but at the end of that, I'm just drained. It just takes so much energy for me to do that, but I do it. And um, I think I because of my aversion early on for like talking to people, I really downplayed networking. Right? I was uh-huh. of the mindset that my merit and my skills and my knowledge and my degrees and whatever else that's going to get me there every single time. And if I just have those things. If I have the right assets, if I have the right tools in my toolbox, that will win out every time. And that's just not true. There are, and I tell our interns this because I supervise the intern program here as well, is that when you graduate college, there are going to be thousands, tens of thousands of kids that have the same minted degree as you, that did just as well in the same classes that you did all around the country. And right. the only thing that makes a difference between the stack of resumes on someone like my desk is who you know or who knows you, right? Do I have you interned someplace before? And I say, oh yeah, like you interned at Fleischman Hillard. Like I know that they hire good people. I've met somebody at a conference there before. Let me give them a call and see if they've heard of your work or if they, you know, can give me information about it. So I mean, that bumps you up on that list, and you still have to have the merits. You still have to have the toolbox right? But the network is the X factor. And so, I mean, I got my job here because I called up somebody that I went to grad school with and um, it ended up working out. But, you know, that um, that really kind of changed my mind about networking and influence in general. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah, we see that a lot too with with our people. Um, I always, I also oversee the the content writers on the social media team, and so I always tell them, if you can work for me, you can work for anybody. Um, and I kind of, I kind of tease them, but I, when they're leaving me, they're going to be prepared to enter the workforce. And um, you know, it's kind of like Dean. Dean's like one of the master networkers in my network. He's somebody that I have on my starting line. But it is so important, and I think also with the way social media is moving right now, and how we're bringing the social back into social media. I say that every week, but it's so important that we're not collecting just connections, that we're making connections. Um, So I love that. And I have a lot of friends that have talked about how hard it is to find jobs after graduation. But, you know, it's like, it's kind of that disconnect of like our generation, I think, Casey, where we know how to use social, but we don't necessarily know how to use it the right way. Um, so I, I love that. I love that we're guiding the next generation to kind of use their network, use their connections to find jobs. Because when you're applying online, that's they can't see anything but a piece of paper. Yo, yeah. Well, and so what I do, this is a trick that I use when I go and speak at colleges, is that I take my business cards with me, but I don't just leave them on the desk. I like tell the students, like, look, if you want my contact information, you're going to have to come up here and get it. Like, you're going to have to talk to me and like ask awesome. me for it. And if, if you don't want to ask me about what I know or you don't want to ask me about a job or an internship, then, like, you know, you can you can go about your way. But, like, you're going to have to make a connection. We're going to have to have a conversation if if you want my contact information. And yes. I'm still surprised about how few people take us up on that. And I also feel like you should maybe not go to college until you're, like, 30 
because now, you know, I did a good job at college, yeah. but like thinking about the opportunities that I wasted to connect yes. with people who were brought to our college for specifically that purpose. And I just walked out the door and went back to my dorm room and without saying anything to them. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like 20 year old Casey, what are you doing? <laughs> I love that you mentioned that too. And I love that you bring up business cards. We were at this networking event last night, this LinkedIn local, and I couldn't, I couldn't even fathom how many people showed up without business cards. And I, I mean, I guess they're kind of old school and we were there for LinkedIn. So you could connect right there from your phone. But I was like, that's, I mean, that's so important still in this day and age. Like that's this, you know, like come up and hand me a business card. And then I'm going to know, I'm going to add you on LinkedIn. I'm going to find you. I'm going to remember this conversation. Um, I was just amazed. A lot of people, I guess, don't really believe in it anymore. No, no. Hold on though. What I hate worse is when right before you talk to somebody and they walk up and they're doing this. It's like, yeah. he, without even a conversation, yeah. they've got it. Like, <laughs> it's almost like they're, and Casey, maybe this, you know, you said you're more of an introvert and I'm more of an, you know, extrovert, I guess, but it's like, you know, I want to talk to you. I want to have a conversation and you're going to ask me, or we're going to get to a point where we trust um, each other and exchange business cards with the intent to do something together next. Absolutely. I always think those people are the ones that come into the networking event with a goal. Like I'm going to hand out five business cards today. So I try not to give them, I try not to give them too hard of a time, but yeah, I know what you're saying. Oh, so what do you think Casey are the business cards going by the wayside in today's digital world? Or you still think it's a good business thing? I mean, like, we have them and I hand them out and I collect them and use them. But I think like, it's not necessarily about like how the information is exchanged. It's about what you do with it. Right. So like, I don't if you, collect them at all. Yeah. And I've got the same stack. And so um, social media at our agency is still in the PR department. So I was a traditional PR person for a while. And those business cards are all about like where my next stories are going to come from. So like every business card I have in my stack, I have notes about who that came from, what conversation we had and like what the next opportunities are to get a story in their publication, because that's the value of having those. I can get their email address anywhere, but it's just this physical reminder of a conversation we had that ties to my notes and I know how to get a hold of them about a story that I want placed. Right. So so before we get to your methodology here, I've got to ask. So if you're at a networking event, do you have a, a trick that like you've got, you're polite and you take the card, even if you're not going to follow up and that goes in one pocket, and then you have the people that you absolutely are going to follow up with and that goes in another stack or how do you operate that way? To be honest, I don't even have to sort them, right? Like if I look through my stack of business cards, I will automatically remember, hey, like I had a conversation mm -hmm. with this person. I, I have a face to go with that name. And if you just handed me a business card, then, um, you know, I it's just easy to pass that by, right? There's yeah. there's a connection there and there's like a, a moment that I distinctly remember. And, um, you know, I don't even have to sort them in different pockets to know yeah. the impact of like whether we had a connection or not. 
Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I want to dive in and kind of talk about you coming and making the shift from PR to social media. Um, We actually have a a guest coming up on Influence Factory at the end of the month um, that's going to talk about the real difference between PR and social media. But we're seeing that they're um, similar, especially now with like the storytelling aspect of social and how big that is. So can you kind of tell us a little bit about that transition, how easy that was, what adjustments you had to make? So I think um, there's a couple components to being a successful social media person and PR and journalism really lend themselves to that, right? In that journalism and public relations are mirrors of each other in that it's all about telling a relevant story to the right people in a way that they care about. And if you can't meet that standard, then you don't have a story, you don't have work, you don't have anything to do and you're not gonna have a job very long. So um, the same standards are starting to be applied to social media, right? Where like bad content is getting penalized and good content gets rewarded. So um, the skill set that it takes to do that from like a journalism and PR standpoint are really valuable, but it's the technology and the metrics piece that is really confusing to a lot of PR people, right? Because Mm -hmm. like PR is just as much craft as it is um, science, right? Like we know the right places that we wanna be, we know the publications, we know their circulation, whatever. But it's about understanding that like we can apply a really heavy amount of like science and data processing to that storytelling process in social media and that really sharpens it up. And um, a lot of the PR people that I've seen who have tried to make that change or trying to like understand it, like that's where they get caught up is you know, it's more, it's becoming more science than it is craft. And because of some of the metrics that are being available on digital PR now, that's starting to leak its way into there. So I think the PR industry needs to, needs to play some catch up. But um, from a content creation standpoint, it's a pretty easy transition, as long as you have somebody who understands all the data and technology that you need to combine with that to make it effective. Yeah, yeah, that's that's good. That's a good call. So I know you want to take us through a few uh, parts of your process, right? So you can share with that and yeah. we can learn. Um, can I go ahead and turn over uh, controls to you then? And then um, yeah. keep in mind that a lot of our folks are listening on podcast. So we just want to, uh, we'll describe anything as best we can as we're walking through that. But those of yeah. you that are live or watching the video, guess what? You get to see some stuff. <laughs> So just to kind of give everybody a backstory of how this came up, um, it's probably a question that you've asked yourself. If you do social media in-house, if you're doing social media for yourself, if you're doing B2B social media, it's like goals, social media goals. What's the point of this? We're talking about intentional content. We're talking about goals, but then how do you meet them? How do you set them? How do you know when you've met them, what to kind of do next? So um, Casey's got this really awesome recipe for what he does with his clients. And that's kind of what prompted this whole episode. So I think everybody's really excited. And I'll let you take it away. Yeah, Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, so um, I'm just going to run through a couple slides um, of, you know, kind of what I do here at Swanson Russell. Swanson Russell is a full service ad agency, the largest in Nebraska. 90% of our business is outside of Nebraska. So we're a national agency working with a lot of clients in a lot of different industries. So what I do here is I lead our social media team, and these are 
um, you know, kind of the laundry list of things that I have to figure out, including everything from account security to influencer marketing and how our system works, um, insights collection and integration. These are some of the clients that I work for on the B2B and B2C side. I've got everything from a salad dressing brand to the world's largest manufacturer of chainsaw chain. So there's a lot of really interesting varied industries on here. And I think that, um, you know, like we talked about, that's kind of my secret weapon in that I have a really weird varied background. So I have um, some knowledge about different industries. And then because I get to work with so many different industries here at Swanson Russell, I kind of have a broader perspective than other folks might. So when we get into goals and where to start, what is a good social media goal, right? The attributes of a good goal in my mind are, and whether you're doing this as like an influencer to promote yourself or whether you're doing this for a client, I think all these apply, right? Is connecting to overall business goals. And when Dean was talking about going online with a purpose, this is, this is really it, right? Like your social media goals should not, should support what you want to accomplish as a business, whether that is like sell more chainsaw chain, get more people to use propane, increase people's perception, good perception of beef, whatever that is, social media needs to be connected into supporting that goal. It needs to be based on real world data and appraisals, right? Like we want to, um, we, we really want to make an honest analysis of like what's going on and what's happening and what's possible, right? Everybody wants a viral video, but in a lot of industries, the reality is that if you have a viral piece of content, it's likely not about anything good. So um, it's just about having those conversations. Right. Um, yeah, and, and consider spend, um, how much money you have to spend, consider content quality, um, and then benchmark that against known industry standards. So the question is really, um, what's realistically possible given your client assets and budget? And when we initially had this conversation, Kate, I know we were talking about specifically follower growth and, you know, how many followers should we be gaining and at what rate and what's acceptable and what's the, what's the right number there. So my formula is kind of based on showing you how to figure that out, but this really applies to um, any kind of goal that you would want to set for social media. But I think the first thing that I want to cover is the downfall of follower count, right? So I, I think that a lot of people know this about social media, but I think it's important to call out because sometimes it gets downplayed. You do not own your social media audiences. You rent them from Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and to access a significant portion of them, you just have to pay the toll every time. And that creates a challenge. And I think in this world devalues um, a follower increasingly so. Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, the follower number is just kind of a vanity metric. You know, it doesn't mean they're engaged. It doesn't mean they're buying your products. They're just they're just following. Yeah, they're they're there. And so when you look at this is one of our clients, our client is down here at the bottom, Textron Offroad. They've been trying to play catch up in this industry for a long time. They make things called ATVs and UTVs. So think about like the highest powered fastest, craziest go-kart you've ever seen. That's what this industry is about. And um, they've got some heavyweight competitors. Can-Am Off-Road and Polaris are the folks that really own this industry. And Textron, you know, in terms of followers, we're a long way behind. And so knowing the value of a follower 
um, it's important to say, look, like it's a waste of money for us to try to just keep up on follower account. That's not where we're going to achieve value. Like, yes, that might be an important metric when we look at look at this overall, but it's not the end all be all. And we shouldn't build a social media plan around just gaining these followers that even if they follow us, we're going to have to pay to access them again anyway. So we focus on reach and engagement. So we say, okay, how many people in our target audience can we reach and how many of them can we engage with our content? And does it matter if they follow us or if they follow Can-Am? Absolutely not. If they're interested in our product category, then we want to show our content to them because maybe the next time they trade up a vehicle, they were interested in one of ours instead of one of the competitors. And I think one of the major metrics that tells this story is that according to Brandwatch, 96% of users who discuss brands on social don't follow those brands' owned profiles. So all the people who are talking wow. about stuff, yeah, I mean, that's huge. And so then it's really sense. hard for us to talk to clients who say, well, how do we get more than 20,000 Facebook followers? How do we get, how do we get more followers? Well, like, it's not just a, it's not just about that anymore. And it can't be about that. Right. That's interesting. That kind of just leads me into like thinking that people really do just use social media sometimes to vent about things. You don't even follow the content. That's crazy. Well, and if you think about like the way that most brands do social media, following brands is actually kind of boring, yeah. right? Compared to like everything else that you can do, like the brands really struggle to continually create good, engaging content and it's expensive and it's really tough um, to compete for that mind share. And so, um, you know, some of the clients that we've worked with, we've had people literally tell us, yeah, like I started following that after that promotion that you did, but then I unfollowed you on Instagram because it just wasn't interesting. Like the entertainment factor is so high. And I think it goes beyond just these B2B and B2C silos that we think in, right? Like, everybody is a consumer and their experience online is based on engaging with some of the best content creators and consumer brands out there. So even if you're B2B, if you want a piece of these people's attention, you're competing against everything else that they might be interested in. And that's a really tall mountain to climb for some brands. You know, one of the, one of the things that I'm thinking about as you're saying this is um, I started seeing, uh, and you pr probably saw this too, Casey, where, a lot of the brands, you know, as we were going through the so, sort of humanizing the brand campaign starting a few years back, um, is that uh, people would start putting their name or their initials in the brand tweet. So they knew it was who it was coming from and they could sort of build this humanistic. Uh, this isn't just coming from Pepsi, but it's coming from Jane at Pepsi or whatever. Uh, do you still see that or is that something that sort of was a fad and now all of a sudden the brand's protecting from Jane or what do you see out there? I mean, I don't see a lot of that happening on the on the posts that come from the brand account. But what we are seeing and what we have a lot of our clients do is we say, OK, this is the brand account. This is what the brand account does. And this is what it talks about. It's things that we try to make engaging and that you would expect to see from a brand but let's get your employees engaged, people who can represent you, who have the expertise, right. have a face, have a personality, and they can go out there and help us engage on our behalf in a way that like the brand as a logo, as our profile picture, just flat out can't do. Mm -hmm. um, and then also I think that signing with your name or your initial is like a really good customer service tactic when you're responding to 
um, direct messages or complaints as a brand in the comment section or in direct messages, I think that's still a tactic that's very effective so that you get that you're talking to a person and that that person is maybe talking from a script, but they're writing their responses in a way that are more authentic rather than just this cut and paste of legalese that, um, you know, is the standard response to these questions. Absolutely. I keep getting sponsored ads on Twitter from Sprint's CEO. I don't, <laughs> that doesn't make me think of it. Like every time I scroll through my Twitter feed, I get a tweet from Sprint CEO, like, please follow me. I'm like, um, can you just uh, can you just reply to him and say please hire Social Jack and then we'll help you be better. <laughs> please give me stuff. free cell phone and then we'll talk more. Thank right. you. <laughs> so what do you what, so Casey, what's your is as part of the recipe here? Because now you have me curious. Is it going to be like what do we do with the ninety six percent? Yeah. So um, what what I'm going to show is um, because for the reality is that whether or not we place a high value on followers, you still have to come up with a number for your right. clients, right? Like you, you can't get away with not doing it. So I'm gonna show how we come up with those numbers Good. and then um, how we add value beyond that and coach folks to um, make better choices. So Kate, this will help because we were, we're, we're, we get asked that this time of year, like what's a good follower growth rate? And we're, right. we really want to focus on engagement as you heard us talk about, but they're like, no, we have to report in on followers. And we're like, okay, so we're going to learn here. So thank you for this. Yeah, this is, this is a big pain point. So basically what I do, the formula is past performance plus an estimate of growth potential equals a realistic goal. So the very first thing I do when I get access to anybody's social media is that I go and I dig through the data and I look at the past two years because that's what I can get um, from Facebook in a very quick amount of time. So over the past 24 months of data and I say, okay, like how successful have they been at follower growth in the past two years? And if there are spikes, what, what can I attribute to those spikes if there are any? So looking at page one, and these are real screenshots of real followers from real clients that I've looked at. Um, this first page here that has 200 and some thousand followers, man, in August 2017, had a huge jump, like 90,000 users almost. And I want to know what happened there, right? There's this huge shelf, and then there's gradual growth beyond that. So what the heck did they do that, that caused that? I want to know about that. And then when we look at this bottom page here, you can see it's more gradual, but there are some steps, some shelves, there are some step ups there. And those are the things that I want to focus on and say, hey, like when you grew by like a thousand followers in, in a month, I want to know what you did there. What was going on? What content were you running? What was being engaged with? What happened? So the other thing that I will say is this is a standard stockbroker's disclaimer that if you've ever <laughs> invested in the stock market, they always say past performance may not be indicative of future results. Right. And that's something to keep in mind here. So that's where this growth potential estimate comes in. So you have to think about what's been done before. Consider the historical data that you've pulled and think about what that means in context of what you've got planned for next year. Um, the slide that I have here, um, the screenshot I have on the right side is one of our clients, Site One Landscape Supply. Follower growth was very important to them at the beginning because they are the number one landscape supplier in the country, the only national one, and they wanted a social presence that reflected that, right? 
So there is no way that they can have this logo, this number one logo, and not be the number one in every category. So, you know, that's one of the few times where we really prioritize follower account after the brand launch. But you want to consider the environment, too. Is the market that you're in the same as it was two years ago? Right. Um, if it is, you're in a very boring industry, If it, in it, but it probably isn't. <laughs> and is that to your benefit or is that to your detriment? And then what's in your toolbox? What assets do you have to be competitive in this future environment? You need both quality content and adequate funds to ensure that it's seen because we know that we've got to pay the toll to access our folks every time, whether they follow us or whether we're reaching that 96% out there who don't, um, we're going to have to pay to get this content in front of them. So you, I look at this data and I say, okay, well, what happened at this 90,000 follower bump on page one? Okay, um, I would say that they obviously spent some money on an exclusive effort to gain new followers. And if we estimate that they spent 35 cents, they cost them 35 cents per new follower, that's kind of like an, a rough industry average they use on Facebook. Um, then that's like a almost a $32,000 direct spend to recruit right. new followers. And probably nobody's going to sign off on letting us do that again. Clearly they didn't in the past year since they saw that bump. So um, we're going to have to look at what a world looks like after that. And in page two, oh, you know, we can see these shelves correlate to campaigns that we're running. So we can say, look, like we've got some really effective campaigns going on here, and that's what correlated to these bumps. So our recommendations become on page one, we need to pivot our strategy to invest in reach and engagement, knowing that followers will be a side effect of success, but they aren't the first priority that we need to go reach that 96% and engage them with our content. And the people who want to follow us, they will follow us based on that and we'll continue to see growth. But we're not going to dump $32,000 into explicit follow us ads and then right. not have spent that money on creating good content to keep them interested. Right. Um, and then on page two, we're going to invest in timely campaigns that reach users um, beyond our current audience and engage them and bump up again, that bump and following will be a side effect. So when it comes down to applying my formula, I say, okay, past performance on page one in August 2017 to 18, after they had that huge 90,000 follower bump, they, they only gained 7,000 followers in the period after that. Um, so we likely can't repeat that. So we need to look at what it looks like to uh, 7,000 followers over, over a year. And we say, okay, we've got some good content. We've got money to push it. Inter users are still interested. There's still a pool of people out there who are interested in off-road vehicles in this client's world particular. Um, and so we haven't maxed out our audience. And so we know that there's still people out there. So let's say conservative estimate, we're going to add, you know, 7,000 plus 10%. We're going to do, um, you know, last most reliable number plus 10%. So, how, so, did, wait, so how did you come up with the 10%? The 10% is, this is where you kind of have to apply what you think is possible and it's going to be unique for every client. So you've got to say, okay, best number on record that we should base it on is 7,000. And then I can say, okay, I think that we are 10% better than the last folks who did this, or we know that we've got a good investment in content that is happening. And so this is kind of where you just have to make an educated guess and try to be conservative. So um, if it's a brand that we've worked with for a while and we know a lot about, then we're a lot more confident in making a more aggressive projection. 
but um, for a lot of brands, I say like, okay, we're going to try and do eight to 10% better and mm -hmm. see where we are in a quarter or in half a year and go from there. Gotcha. So you just kind of make a guess on the next goal, but then you're basing the new followers on the past trends. Yes. And then, so, and then, and then do you see uh, certain industries that have realistic percentage increments, you know, like, so maybe if it's, um, you know, so if it's financial services or banking, it's one, you know, it's a, maybe a lower percentage, but if it's a consumable product, you know, more on the consumer side, it's a higher percentage. So what do you see on that level? Well, let me, let me tell you what is really a weird anomaly that happened in my data. And I don't know whether it's just a coincidence or <laughs> whether, or, or whether this is, there's something to this, but so the example I showed you in page one, Textron Off-Road, that is the company that makes the souped up go-karts. So when we look at page two, these guys make, um, they're, they're a fast food chain, a local fast food chain. They essentially make pizza pockets full of cabbage and ground beef, and it's really popular here in Nebraska. Um, but in their last year, they also grew 7,000 followers, right? Mm -hmm. That seems like a really strange coincidence to me right. that there's just this steady 7,000 follower growth among these two pages in wildly different industries with wildly different target audiences that no matter what either of them did in terms of campaigns, that that's the number that they end up at. So it could be a coincidence. It could not, but I thought it was interesting. That is but interesting. But when we look at page two, yeah. So when we look at page two, we say that anytime they ran a campaign, they gained between 1,000 to 2,200 followers as you know a bonus to that. So we're gonna say, we know this client, we've got three strong campaigns this year instead of two. We're going to say that, you know, a fair estimate is that we'll put up 1,500 followers each time we run a campaign, plus there'll be just general growth um, that happens in off-campaign time. So we'll say we'll do 7,000 plus 20%. So our new follower goal for um, this brand would be 8,400. Got it. Um, yeah. So factors to consider when you're doing this, because I know we're running short on time here, Remember that each channel is different. Um, remember that <clears throat> your keep your target audience in mind, right? That like you can't expect the same results with a strategy designed to engage 55 plus year olds and apply that to 18 to 24 year olds on social and think that that strategy is going to work for you. And that seems obvious, but something that I think is important to call out. And then understand your available assets, right? Like none of this happens in a vacuum. So you only have so much money, time and resources and so if you know, like we were talking about, that conversational engagement is going to move the needle for you on Twitter, but you don't have the assets to do that well, then you're going to have to set some appropriate expectations to say, look, like this is the thing that we know is going to earn you the most engagement and followers. But if you can't do that, then you're going to have to set your expectations lower um, right. for what you can achieve in that channel. So um just wrapping up here how we keep tabs on this we do monthly reporting um to look at progress toward our set goals we do quarterly check-ins to take a serious look at our progress and then we make projections so if we say here we are at this time here's where we are now if we continue on this pace for the next eight months where will we be and will we hit our goal or not and
And if not, then what are we going to do to start amping these things up? Um, I think it's also important to make halftime adjustments. Right. But so this is Scott Frost, new coach of the Nebraska Cornhuskers, allegedly the football team's savior. And he comes in and we go, I think, 0-6. We've now won three games. But the point is you got to give your strategies time to work. You don't need to panic. you got to give them some time to see whether they're working or not. But you also need to be prepared to make halftime adjustments, and that's what those quarterly check-ins are for. We'll give it three months and say, all right, where are we at? And if we're not where we need to be, then we make some adjustments. And then this is where being conservative pays off, right? Because even if you're struggling a little bit at the start, you've still got some room to like make it up and make adjustments and realistically hit your goals. So my main principles of success are expect fluctuation. Your monthly numbers are going to go up and down. And you can see this in this engagement graph here, specifically tracking Facebook shares for a client. Um, but I look at year to year. Are we doing better than we were this same time last year? Because a lot of these industries are cyclical, right? Like mm -hmm. a lot of people see a slump during the holidays and they rebound in January. Or a lot of industries will see a peak time in, in June because that's when sales for their products happen. And then it's slow other times. So you want to look at like year over year to better understand the trends rather than month to month. And then I think you want to avoid arbitrary numbers, right? Refrain from picking specific numbers to achieve um, and keeping those like out of context, right? The, the number itself is not that important. It's what's behind it. So my right. final thought is that numbers on their own are meaningless. If you hit 10,000 engagements, what does that mean? If you like, right? Like you can go get engagement. You can just pump a bunch of money into a social channel and you can earn the engagements. But if they're not from the audience that you're targeting and that engagement isn't about what you need to tell them about to help support your business goal, then 10,000 engagements is meaningless, right? Sure. But if you said you wanted 10,000 engagements, but you only got 5,000 engagements from people who are really serious potential customers, that's a lot more meaningful. So that's really what I've got for you guys. And um, definitely interested in uh, any thoughts that you guys have on this or taking some time to answer audience questions. Yeah, so uh, we are jammed on time. We got about three minutes left. So, but what we do encourage is that um, we know that uh, Casey, you love uh, probably LinkedIn more than anything. So what we'll do is we'll collect uh, questions as we do on social media and make sure we get those uh, back to you. And Gail says, go big red. Um, so, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so maybe, uh, Kate, if you were going to bottom line and we want you to type in, what's your big takeaway? And Casey, we always ask people to take one thing that they heard you say and put it into practice. So we'd like to see our audience type that in right now. And then Kate, I'm sure you have a whole list like I do here, but what's your yeah. one biggest takeaway? So I, I like how you kind of put it into a process because we always know we base our goals on where we've come from, but it kind of gave us a streamline, something to figure out. And a lot of people are working on smaller businesses, smaller projects, uh, maybe even personal brands. But, you know, that that really gave us a clear number as to where we started and where we're going. We can kind of make our own goals and like it. And I think another thing he mentioned that a lot of people forget is campaigns and there's ways to launch 
campaigns, even when you're a smaller company, um, you know, if whether it's a seasonal campaign, whether it's, um, you know, joining one of those LinkedIn challenges, like video challenges for your personal brand, um, you know, that could help you gain followers to like produce intentional content in campaign format. So it's the little things that you're doing to really see that growth, set your goals, do a campaign to help drive your goals. And then also what he said is make sure the goals are in align with your business. If you're just looking for um, brand awareness, if you're looking for conversions, which, you know, even from a personal standpoint, that's setting appointments on LinkedIn, right? So there's ways to just kind of to, to keep this streamlined and really look at goals and setting them and, 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 and reaching them. And I liked how you kind of formatted that for us. Very nice. I love it. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm with you on that. Then uh, we we break up in a lot of our campaigns quarterly, but I like that hard line and saying the halftime, you know. So yeah. the uh, you know, and we have a very sports driven culture here in our methodology too. So, um, you know, anyway, that's uh, and it's a lot of information. So go back and listen to the recording. You know, look at your social media numbers and and set set your goals. You know, take some time on this. It's it's not supposed to be something you can throw together. I think that was also a takeaway. Yeah, and uh, Tracy said uh, takeaway is uh, competing against everything going on out there, not just uh, the competitors. And Jen's like number of followers don't necessarily mean anything what's important. So, um, so anyway, and then Casey, I think you might have lost audio. Can you hear us or no? Okay. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Jackson, just tell him to smile, and we're thanking him profusely. Meanwhile, um, Carolyn Barth will be on uh, two yeah. weeks from now. Remember, no show next week because of the Thanksgiving U.S. holiday. Um, and she's all about content strategy, so we're going to learn a ton about her. Um, and then uh, we'll uh, really get into this uh, space about being able to um, uh, use PR and social together. So did we get you back, Casey, or no? Yeah, I'm back. I switched to my computer. There you go. <laughs> Modern technology. So, uh, so that's good. Well, we were we were just thanking you profusely, you know, whether or not. So, just so you know, and we were just commenting on the fact that everybody was chiming in on their one takeaway. And uh, if people want to uh, know more about, uh, like, is this a slide deck published on your website at all? Um, it's not. It's something that I created specifically for you, but I can um, make it available to you guys if you want. Yeah. Right. And then Jackson, who's our big engagement winner for this session? Who was the most engaged on the platform today? Uh, today we had uh, Gail Dishman. So. All right. So Gail, congratulations. You're our Starbucks gift card winner. Now, Gail, what we want to encourage you to do is to make sure that when you have that cup of coffee with somebody that you care about, uh, make sure that you teach them something that you learned. You had a lot of good comments in here about the relevant story, tell a relevant story. But now we're empowering you as an influencer because everybody on with us are influencers to really let them know what you learned from Casey, let them know about Casey. And uh, we'd love if you mentioned Social Jack. But more importantly, teach people what you've learned so that you can really truly be a thought leader in what you do and also what you're learning to do. So that's our, that's our message. And bring a business card. <laughs> and don't forget to connect to them on LinkedIn. Absolutely. Casey, again, apologize, everybody, for running over by a minute or so. But I uh, want to thank you again, Casey. It's always a delight to hear you. Uh, we loved you from Social Media Strategy Summit. So we want to make sure we continue to follow you. 
and and track what you're doing. And thank you so much for your formula. We all learned so much from you, and uh, we loved having you on. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. Really had a great time today, guys. Awesome. Yeah, good. Thanks, y'all. All right, Kate, we'll take them home. All right. Make sure you're following us. Of course, Jen was tweeting this on Social Jack, uh, on Twitter at GetSocialJack, hashtag Influence Factory. And we'll see you online in two weeks. Have a good Thanksgiving. All right, everybody. Have a good Thanksgiving. Take care. Happy Bye. Thanksgiving.